This is a global original podcast. Hi and welcome to Confessions of a Modern Parent. The podcast where my husband Mark and I discuss the challenges, difficulties, frustrations and ultimately the joys of being parents and step-parents to four wonderful, talented, beautiful daughters aged between 25 and 12. This week we're talking about, really we're talking about camps, aren't we? We're talking about the NHS service for youngsters for, with mental health mm, issues. But we're aware that we have lots of listeners from other countries. Yeah. Wherever you are in the world, there are young people struggling with their mental yeah, health. So absolutely. I think it's relevant to everyone. Oh, it was a really good chat, actually. It's a it? really good and, chat. Oh, my God. Yet again, your messages. Oh. Heartbreaking and inspiring in equal measure. Yeah. Hello, welcome to Confessions of a Modern Parent. Don't you always start these chats with saying hello and then you think, it's like one of those, I always remember what my English teacher, I'm just going to go off on one for a minute. I always remember my English teacher at school saying to me that I used too many long words, too much hyperbole, I needed to use shorter sentences. And he said, imagine a sentence is like one of those snakes you had as a kid, you remember, made up of parts that you were trying to waggle in front of you, trying to illustrate without showing my hand to the listeners quite hard. And he said, think of a sentence as getting longer and longer and the longer it gets, the harder it is to control. That's how I feel at the beginning of these. I get a little bit anxious, if I'm honest. Yeah, but we soon get over it, don't we? Not really. Uh, Honestly, listener, if every single week Mark says to me, what are we going to (laughs) say? And you go, are you not worried? I go, no, because we have never not had stuff to say. Well, then I always end up coming out feeling like I've said too much. Yeah, we are odd. I mean, I wonder how other podcasters work it, but I suppose because we're married, because we're always in a conversation of some sort our whole day and our whole life, we never plan anything, do we? We just sit down and we... Do you think Shag married and annoyed do? I don't know. But we just sit down and we just we just find our way around it, don't we, the, 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 the topic. I sometimes wonder whether we should do a podcast about something totally unrelated to something that's quite difficult, because parenting is fucking hard. Oh, it's so hard. It's exhausting. Honestly, it's a friend of mine at the moment. We are talking every single day for about an hour and just going, oh, my God, I don't think I can do it. Because we thought we would get to this time, the teens and the older teens, and it would the responsibilities would lessen, but of course they get so much worse. Kids are facing so much. Well, I'm also studying um, to be a counsellor, a therapist, and um, one of the things that we were talking about yesterday was implicit issues versus explicit issues. And it really struck me yesterday that explicit issues present very much in young children, toddlers, because they've got no processes, you know, yeah. of hiding it's or concealing. Out, yeah, yeah they're, they're not sort of... <laughs> as we grow older, we become more and more Machiavellian with ourselves. Uh, and then implicit issues are very much the preserves of teenagers. It's all hidden. Even if they're sat in the room, the sort of, you know, inscrutable face that they can present you with and the lack of verbal, you know, connection is, you know, is, is implicit. And so it strikes me that as we're about to talk about mental health, one of the biggest problems with mental health and one of our biggest problems, and we often hear it said all the time, that if I had a broken arm, I'd have sympathy. Mm. But if I've got a broken head or a broken heart, I don't. 
Um, and that's because it's implicit. That's because it's inside. It's because it's unseeable. And it's because mm. we present an explicit version of ourselves to the mm. world. I just wanted to share that because it just struck me yesterday as yeah. I knew we were about to talk about yeah. this. Yeah, and I think that's that's what's so heartbreaking, isn't it, when, as a parent, when we know that our child is struggling yeah. and they're unable to hardly form in their minds what their thoughts are about it, let alone the words to tell yeah. us so that we can help them. And I think that's... You know, reading all your messages this week. Wow. Guys, wow. I mean, they... My just my heart breaks. And actually, when I put the call out on Instagram asking people to share their experiences with CAMS and and their children's mental health, I did say we were going to do this podcast and we would come up with no solutions. No, Because we don't. But I think we are all in a state as parents where we're just wanting to say, God, this is how it feels for me. Does it... Is there anyone else out there that feels the same? Because there is power in that. So so this chat, which is about mental health and almost quite specifically about something called CAMS. Now, I'm, I'm very aware as we say this and we start off, we have a lot of listeners that aren't in the UK. And the peg, in a sense, for this conversation, or the springboard for this conversation, was a documentary that was on our broadcast of the BBC uh, for a charitable sort of campaign, which is called Children in Need, that happens every year. Mm. Um, and it was a documentary authored by Dr Alex George, and it was entitled Our Young Mental Health Crisis. Now, if you haven't seen it, it might be a good idea at this point to pause the podcast, head off, watch it, and then come back and listen to our chat. Yeah, but you don't have to have have watched it to listen to this chat. But it was very, very powerful, authored by Dr Alex George, who very, very sadly, oh, my God, heartbreakingly, his younger brother um, actually killed himself, Mm. um, I think, right almost at the beginning of the pandemic. So... You know, not only is he a doctor, not only is he a young young doctor, but also he, he's lost somebody in the most tragic situation. So I, I find it very powerful. I find him a very powerful yeah. author. He was very... He had that wonderful thing that doctors do where they're a bit removed, yes. but he was really listening. Yes. And the, the young people that talked about their experiences were so articulate. Yeah. And though it was very sad, it was also, I felt hopeful. And even within the hope, I said to you, Mark, didn't I? I said, my God, you know what breaks my heart is that for some of these kids, it was taking six or seven sessions of somebody listening and guiding Mm. them and helping them find the toolbox to work around their mental health issues. And they were so much better and thriving rather than surviving. And... And that's where the discussion came up about CAMS. So just let me just explain, just want to read here actually what the definition of CAMS. CAMS is the name for the NHS services that assess and treat young people with emotional, behavioural or mental health difficulties. CAMS support covers depression, problems with food and eating, self-harm, abuse, violence or anger, bipolar, schizophrenia and anxiety, among other difficulties. And it stands for Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services. Now, like every other service, I'm sure they are groaning under the pressure. They They are. are absolutely. And there are many, many people within CAMS that are brilliant professionals and are making a difference Mm. for many young people and we've had some messages along those lines but we cannot um it's like the whole of the national health isn't it waiting lists and i mean i was talking to a counselor yesterday from our area and she said at the moment it's an 18 month waiting list 
for a young person that's struggling. She said she's got people coming to her that are scraping together their savings to get their child to be seen privately. I mean, I think one of the things that's going to come up in this conversation is a frustration, a disappointment and an anger. I mean, I know that from reading the social media comments towards CAMS. And I think it's really important to just place a caveat at the front here. Yeah. I mean, I grew up, one of my mum's girlfriends was a social worker and for four years of my teenage years. You know, OK, we didn't see eye to eye. It wasn't a great relationship, but... Her job was a thankless task. She was underfunded, overstretched, be, you know, stressed beyond belief, was always with her work colleagues campaigning for more money, more time, more resources. And, you know, the, so the first thing I really want to say... Then. This is way back then. And, and so I really want to stress the fact that this is not... If you're a, someone who works for CAMS or works for an underfunded mental health charity or whatever, mm -hmm. this is not a direct criticism. Mm -hmm. You know, all of this that we're going to talk about and a lot of the comments from a lot of people are an expression of frustration. Mm -hmm. And really they have no one else other than mm -hmm. the people that they feel they've reached out to. Mm -hmm to kind of hit, in yeah. a sense. It's the, people, it's the people that are deciding where the money goes and yeah. the importance of it yeah. that, that need that need the screaming and shouting at, not people that are, are there and trying to make yeah. it work. So, yeah, so this, wow, I mean, this documentary, Mark and I were, like, very still when we were watching it and we were looking back and forth over each other and I think it triggered, brought up a lot of emotions for us, it took me back to my own childhood mm. and, you know, how different, what a different parent I am from my parents. My parents were traditional, very traditional 70s parents. You know, you had any upset, you would say, well, don't worry, you know, just yeah. put yourself together, you'll be fine. Yeah. And that was the way that most people were dealt with, weren't they, with mental health? Yeah. I mean, when we look at us and the way that we the support our children, that we discuss mental health almost on a daily basis in the same we do their physical health. And yet there's no guarantees. Our girls, we've got, you know, have struggled and do struggle on yeah. and off. And it made me just feel really sad. It made me feel sad for you. It made me think, if you'd had more understanding as a young person, would you have got to the stage that you've got with your depression? Your, you've lived with terrible anxiety all your life. Right. I could see that you were getting quite tearful at points. Well, I mean, you know? you know, one of the things that came, and, you know, obviously bipolar is named in one of the things that CAMS looks looks after, and it's funny, I, I spoke to a young adult the other day about their school, and they, sorry, I just wondered what that Strange awful sound was. Sound. It sounded like a building Something coming outside. down. <laughs> um, and they said that so many of their friends and people in their year struggle with bipolar. And I you. thought, and it made me, it made me pause, and I thought... Good God, you know, once again, we have definitions, we have understandings. And that's, I know a lot of people like to think, oh, now we've got names for everything. We've got an ism for everything. This is, this was just this back in my day. Well, you could also argue that this is about society and civilization progressing. It's about research. It's about knowing more. And we must never forget that we have a huge problem with alcohol in this country. Absolutely. With our adults. And with why our adults. is that? Yeah, exactly. A big part of that is because we were not taught how to deal with our yes, things. We exactly. weren't spoken Somebody like you, you have been told by one of the top psychiatrists in the country that you will have been struggling with bipolar from probably about six years old. Yeah, exactly. And you suppressed it all your life with yeah. alcohol. You're and yeah, absolutely. So how many other kids yeah. like me were struggling, have struggled, haven't been diagnosed, have used alcohol, and drugs unhappy. and bad relationships to mm. manage all of that? So, you know, this idea that we only have a new generation of mental health oh, problems no. is total and utter nonsense. No. If I think back to my grandparents, my nan was an 
angry woman. She was a lovely woman, but there was anger, huge anger, reservoirs of fury within her that frightened me as a child. And my grandfather barely said a word and was clearly, in retrospect, struggling with extraordinary depression. You know. It was funny. Um, one of our daughters had a friend around yesterday, and I was sort of pottering around in the kitchen, and it was so interesting the way they were saying, "Oh, my my my, my, my mental health," and da da da. And we, yeah, because at that time, my mental health's much stronger. And I was like, "This is brilliant. Mm. This is brilliant." It wasn't like a wallowing conversation, but it was like it is now just part of their conversation, like mm. their physical health. And I just thought. Great, but it's a big change for all of us. And I think lots of us as parents almost want it all to go away. We don't want these children to have this language because they come to us and say, I think I might have such and such or so so (laughs) self-harming. People have always self-harmed, but we didn't know about it. It was so, so secretive. And also, Um, can I just on that point, which is a really important point, because I, I, I feel that so much time actually needs to be spent dissuading adults from the idea that this is a modern thing and a modern development. And I think you can't overemphasize this enough. Self-harm, which again, you could argue is one of the many sort of (laughs) choices of mental health, you know, issues that youngsters have today, doesn't always and hasn't always in the past been harming your skin and body. Self-harm can function in relationships. Mm. Self-harm can function in obviously alcohol and drugs, but self-harm can can exist in food. So many different types of self-harm. It's just that that self-harm in this modern day, in this modern age, manifests itself in a much more physical sense often, but in exactly the same way that it's always manifested itself through food, through alcohol and through drugs. You know, so I I really want to encourage people to think when when we say self-harm, it's a broader umbrella of terms. Self-harm is also eating disorders. I mean, we can, as parents, think it's, you know, the worst thing that your child could do with self-harm, but I would also see a kid that's done 10 shots of vodka which is a which is a regular thing within the teenage world you know as self-harm and then there'll something terrible happen they'll feel ghastly and they'll go the next week for me somebody that you know it 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 all comes under the same umbrella and it's like how do we get to what the feelings are that get you to this place you know One of the things I thought was really, really important about the documentary, and it was less, and this this thing that I'm about to say was less about really what was said, but the way in which it was said. It was really refreshing to see approximately five to six contributors, interviewees, young adults talking with extraordinary maturity, sensitivity, Mm. vulnerability, and honesty about something that actually, and I think that's what was so special about the documentary, we all want to be able to access that articulation in our young teenagers. And for whatever reason, through no fault of our own, it's very hard to get there. And I thought he did, and the documentary did a really wonderful job of presenting youngsters in a way that, you know, too many adults have this idea of this, they mentioned it in it, didn't they? The snowflake generation, the da-da-da. And I thought they were beautifully articulate. Yeah, they really were. You know, even when they couldn't be articulate, they were beautifully articulate. And I think also it was important that they weren't from an, from obvious chaos. Yes. You yeah, know, yeah, 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 that's all true. These, all these young people had extremely caring parents sitting there, eyes welled up, 
listening to this, oh, God, just the horror of your child saying, I was so unhappy, I wanted to cut myself, or I was so unhappy, I was anorexic, or I was so unhappy that I wanted, didn't want to be here. Yeah. And these were engaged, caring, they came from engaged, caring parents. And one of the parents spoke so beautifully about, I had to learn um, that... It works better if I say, what were you feeling mm. when you cut yourself rather than why did you cut yourself? You know, these mm. simple things. And I think parents, and this is a podcast where we hopefully hold each other through these difficult times of bringing up our teens, we don't get enough help no. to help our children. No. You know, I mean, I was thinking about this yesterday. If there's a great long waiting list, right, for these kids, which we know there is, how about doing mass workshops online to help parents support their children in the time leading up to... Because we can't just wave a magic wand and get all these children seen mm. immediately. But I think there could be enormous... There could be enormous... Well, like a sort of massive, almost 12-step group <clears throat> help on Zoom for clutches of 30 yeah. parents at so a time. So you have, like, you yeah. know, because there are... there are. I mean, we've we've learned a lot of the stuff, haven't yeah. we, because of, you, because of us both being in therapy and because yeah. of you going to rehab and all of that. So we have a lot of the language available to us. And it is when I talk to friends of mine who are hugely caring parents, they just don't have that language. They don't, they don't understand it. No. And so in that interim period, why not give us some... Why don't you keep, throw us a bone here? Something for the toolbox. <laughs> Just something. something for the parent to get them mm. through because what happens is the parent gets more and more stressed, the parent's not sleeping, not eating properly, all of this stuff is what you hear over and over again and it's getting more and more frantic between mm. them and their child as they're on this 18-month waiting list mm. and yet we know there is a toolbox of saying a different way to approach things like, you know, um, how has this left you feeling? That simple thing of how has this left you feeling mm. is very, very different to, well, how's it make? what are you saying? How's this mm. making you feel? The way that we talk in a state of panic to our children doesn't help them. Or the way in which we immediately assume that bad behaviour is just bad behaviour yeah. rather than actually an articulation yeah. of sadness, yeah. upset, alienation, yeah. bullying or whatever. And also that, that we, we go to a place of guilt as parents when our, when our children are going through a mental health crisis and it, it doesn't help mm. to say that to them. I mean, what I, have I done wrong is like the worst thing. Maddie was saying that to yeah. me the other day actually. She was talking about another friend of hers. She said her parents keep saying to her, you know, well, what have we done? What yeah. have we done? And that puts the pressure on the child because they don't want to see their parents upset. No, no. So, again, you don't want anything that makes them retreat. Yeah. So you get really scared about saying the wrong thing. Um, but the thesis of the documentary, really, or the, the sum-up, and it was quite a bleak sum-up, I thought, because there yeah. wasn't really... It didn't really point towards what could be done because it basically was highlighting the fact that support is not really there. No. Waiting lists are 18 months to two years on camps. In certain areas. In certain not areas. Not so bad in other areas. But I tell you what you actually discovered, didn't you, on Young Minds UK, please engage with that charity if oh you're struggling. Yeah. They actually do do a course. They run all sorts of courses. For parents to help mm. them know how to talk to their children. Now... Uh, you pay for it. I don't know how much it is. It probably it's, got to be expensive. It's about £120, but I think you can get a reduction on that. Think about it this way, though. It's a form of contribution. And if you were to share the amount... I was thinking about this. If yeah. you shared it amongst a couple of parents, it's, yeah. onli it's online. You could possibly 
all sit and learn from it at the same time. You know? But I think it's a really, like you said, it's a really clever way of the charity to raise funds. Yes, yeah. And, you know, also there was a, there was a young woman talking on the doc- documentary about she, a, part, a lot of her healing has been about helping other young mm. people. And I think so often the best person for a young person to talk to when they're struggling mm. is one of their peers. Us pontificating around them is not going to get the access to them in the way that another young person says, oh, my God, I felt this, felt like this. Oh, my God, you know what? I used to smoke spliff, you know, every weekend. Strangely, for the rest of the week, I felt depressed, I felt anxious. It it just works from another Mm. young person. I mean, share with us, we, we have a friend of a friend who's going through a real crisis at the moment, trying to find um, any kind of help for their child. And in many regards, people listening to this, you know, you could argue, well, what's the point of talking about this? Because we've got no solutions. We can't make recommendations beyond what's worked for ourselves and some of our issues. Mm -hmm. You know, there are charitable organisations. But just to give a sense of how difficult it is out there, I mean, this person cannot get a psychiatrist. Not until next year. To assess their child. And she has, yeah... And she's not wealthy, but she's prepared to pay anything. Mm. And, and a lot of psychiatrists, not everyone needs a psychiatrist, of course, you know, no. many need counsel or CBT. You know, it, it, many of the good ones, and that's the other problem, you don't just want anybody, have closed their waiting lists mm. until 2022. Wow. Um, you know, I was talking to a psychiatrist a few weeks ago who's an expert in children's services and she's in the private sector and she said, we are absolutely on our knees in the private sector. Wow. She said that... So it's um, the same, so in a sense... Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, well, that's kind of important because yeah. for anyone who's working in the sort of NHS area of CAMS or anything like that, it's important for them to hear that because I would have thought the burden of responsibility and the frustration, anyone who's gone into the whole CAMS side of things is a carer, is wanting to help. And I would have thought that the constant press coverage of failure must be very tough mm. for them, must be very tough. I mean, we're going to get onto this in a minute because one of the things that's really important in therapy, I think a lot of people think that for kids to go into therapy, it's really important that they have a targeted issue to resolve. And in some cases, obviously, in, in many cases, there is something like that. There's either a diagnosis that needs to be struck, there may be treatment that's required. But actually, what I think and what a lot of therapists think is that what's needed for a lot of youngsters is simply the space that isn't with their parents to say how they feel. More often than not, not, just that process is important and helpful. And in many regards, what I've noticed from all of the social media responses to you, Nadia, is loads and loads of heartbreaking comments from parents, some teenagers and some people who work for CAMS, sharing in exactly that fashion. And I would hope that in saying it and in us reading it, that's part of the catharsis of trying to heal something, actually, because sometimes it's just about being heard. And I think for a lot of teenagers, ironically, they're in a bind of not knowing how to say something, not wanting to say it to that person, because it's my mother, but needing to talk so much Mm. or needing to express themselves so much. It might be not talking, it might be through art, it might be through, you know, creative, creative stuff. And I think that's a really important thing to bear in mind. And, and, you know, personally, when I was watching the Alex George documentary, I was thinking to myself, Jesus Christ, there needs to be a campaign where group therapy is introduced into schools. And I really feel Mm. so strongly about this. Mm. Because for me, you, you can go into the rehab thing, you can go into all the things that we've been through. 
the one type of therapy that has worked best for me was group therapy, where you are facing people like yourself, unlike yourself, you find similarities, you find differences, and you have two or three peer group, you know, people slightly older than you have gone through the same sort of issues, steering the conversation. And it's a really fresh, group vibrant way to talk. and daily exercise will help would help the nation would and there look there's free solutions already that isn't just about throwing millions more at the cans which we haven't got why why what what the hell goes on Just protect Why is an hour a week for an group hour therapy. a day for kids to exercise where they have to. They're not allowed to get out of it. An no. hour a day at school Absolutely. and once a week group therapy and some sort of a course for parents to plug into. Yeah, totally. To get some support because yeah. if the parent starts to crumble, it's it's a sorry state of affairs. And, we, you know, as for many of our followers have said, they're on their knees with it. Yeah. Or shall we, I mean... Oh, can we give you a big hug over the airways? <laughs> the airwaves. Over the airwaves. What did I say? Airways. Oh, did I? <laughs> airways? Airwaves. Yeah, I like, I like airways. <laughs> Now, before we record each episode of our podcast, we ask you to get involved on social media. Hashtag confessions of a modern parent. If you want to get in touch on our Instagram, it's at Nadia Sawala and family. On Twitter, at Nadia Sawala. And if you're a little bit scared of Nadia and you're a bit <laughs> worried that she might tell you off, you could always come to lovely, cuddly old me at, <laughs> at, on Instagram at Mark underscore Adderley. A-double-D-E-R-L-E-Y. Well, look, in the spirit of what I've just said, I think it's really an opportunity to air your feelings, your frustrations, your upset, uh, your, your, you know, and, and in many cases, sadly, your heart, heartbreak. But, um, and in that, maybe there'll be something kind of really useful in it. So shall we go mm-hmm. through them? Um, first one here, um, where I'm in any shade of doubt as to whether I should identify you, I'll, I'll say anonymous. Um, Liz B says, a friend of mine this week was told by CAMS to go private as they're understaffed. Uh, Di Cresswell says CAMS... I mean, that's all very well, but it's extremely expensive. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, to go private is no easy task. I mean, you know, a friend of mine, this is not anything to do with mental health, but he'd been treated very badly in the hospital. He went to see his GP the other day, had a horrendous time in hospital. He's still got ongoing problems because of the way he was treated in hospital. And the doctor said, well, I'm going to send you for a private scan, right? Because of everything you've been through, you're going up to... And you're getting a private scan. I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, OK, well, why can't people... When And I'm talking about the kids that are suicidal. That's yeah. the point. Because there are people whose children are suicidal yeah. and they are not getting seen. I'll read out a comment about that later. Um... Why can't they move into the private sector? These are children. Yeah. I know. It's quite astonishing. Get a voucher from the GP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're turning away suicidal children and going, oh, sorry, you can just pay for it yourself. Di Cresswell says, CAMS have a waiting list that is so long. Senko do nothing in schools these days either. And Senko is special educational needs coordinators. <coughs> yeah, well, it depends what school you are, because, yeah. of course, there are some very good Senko yeah. um, services within the school, but I know that a lot of people feel woefully let down by them. Now, it's important to say, I think we've put all the caveats at the front. There are a lot of cases here that we're going to read out of people... Um, really not liking 
what has been suggested by CAMS or feeling it's really quite insufficient. And when I, when I read some of them, I was, I was aghast, actually, if I'm honest. Uh, this person says, anonymous, teenage son needed help with anger. Six-week Zoom workshop with CAMS, told to play with Play-Doh or have a bath. Ended up going private, which gave him the help he needed. God. Play with Play-Doh. Now... <laughs> You know, there may have been a set of circumstances in which another child that might have worked for, a younger child or whatever, but, yeah. uh, you know, you can well feel the frustration of a parent there yeah. if something like that was that was offered up. Uh, someone else I'm going to keep anonymous. Not good. Discharged my 13-year-old son saying he won't talk. They asked him yes-no questions. Psychologist asked me, if my child is so naughty, how comes they are so intelligent? Really? I mean, that's sort of psychology what on the most simplistic of, of of levels i mean frustrating um someone here just says jess terrible 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 mm. uh anonymous um we are seriously understaffed but uh, do, you know, this is someone who works for cams anonymous mm. um i work for them we are seriously understaffed but are trying to do our very yes, best exactly Exactly. Um, and I think it's really important. It's really important to acknowledge that because it's rather like when, you know, you've been waiting for a bus and the three before haven't turned up and then you shout at the, the bus don't, that does turn don't, up. Yeah, don't shoot the messenger, I mean, in, yeah. in many regards. OK, I just... I want to read this one. Um, uh, this is somebody that messaged me and, uh, and, and, and definitely wants to be anonymous. It is heartbreaking. Absolutely. I don't even know how you are facing each day. Mm. My son is suffering from depression. We've been in touch with the doctors multiple times and even when we've told them he's had suicidal thoughts, they still won't see him face to face. We're very lucky with our GP that he does. Yeah. But honestly, Mark, so many GP, this it's outrageous. I'm absolutely fuming. They've referred him to a cognitive behaviour therapist, but it could be months before he's seen with a suicidal boy. He had good and bad days. The bad days are really frightening and it breaks my heart. I've tried to get him to reach out to mental health charities, but he finds it very difficult to ask for help himself. He started playing football again, which he absolutely loves, and I hope the physical exercise will do him good. It's worked wonders for me in the past. <clears throat> Actually, I did say to um, <clears throat> this this lady to, to, to reach out to Young Minds because, again, I think... Uh, it, with young minds, you can reach out as a parent mm. and get all sorts of advice on how to get your child exactly. to then reach out to them. And, um, yeah, heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Hey, not I mean, knowing if this is the day that you're, you know, how he's feeling on that no. day. How can you refuse to see someone who has suicidal thoughts? Well, I don't understand that. Well, someone here says, uh, Cam's, I'm going to keep you anonymous as well, Cam's let my sister down at 16, resulting in her committing suicide. Oh, my God. I mean... You know, we're dealing with a real crisis. I'm so sorry for the people at CAMS that yeah. know that this is happening as well. Yeah. And having to work with their hands tied behind their backs because of resources. I mean, Dr Alex George uses the phrase which is used in the trailer and everyone's sort of seized upon, which is, this is a crisis on, on a, crisis. a crisis. We already had a crisis. Yeah. And now it's just... Well, this, this um, child specialist psychiatrist said to me that we have a huge problem with weed and through the pandemic so many young mm. people took it up 
and they are now really struggling with their mental health because of the THC weed, mm. the skunk. Mm. Um, and they, they, it's, it's a massive problem. So if your child is struggling with um, <clears throat> smoking and you are on that waiting list, I think Mark would absolutely recommend that you reach out to Cannabis Anonymous. Oh, absolutely. Because it marijuana doesn't cost you a penny. Mar- marijuana, it won't cost you a penny. And do they do special ones for young There people? are special 12-step meetings for teenagers. And, 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 you know, the great thing is, is actually, and I do think this is a benefit, bizarrely, I, a lot of them are on Zoom still or have to be yeah. on Zoom legally. I would sit them down in front of yeah. that Zoom and say, Well, because it means you homework. can sit with them. You can, you know, if they need, if they're nervous, if they're worried, you can sit with them and you can leave them to, once they suddenly, what they'll start to hear is, again, people in their peer group and people much older who've, who've, who've had absolutely their had their lives destroyed. Yeah, Because um, they will tell you, oh, it helps me, it sorts me out, it calms me down. Well, it does for those minutes. Yeah. But what you're left afterwards with is, you know, the waves of mental health. And don't forget, you know, teenagers are Chains. creatures that are surviving. You know, let's look yeah. at them as, as animals. They're creatures that are surviving. And it's no wonder <laughs> coming out of the pandemic that things like alcohol consumption, mm. uh, smoking of cannabis, weed, marijuana, skunk, whatever you mm. want to call it, has gone up. The use of ketamine has gone up. The use of acid has gone up. These kids are wanting it's to cheap. escape themselves. And it's, cheap. it's cheap. And pubs and bars and clubs yeah. have become so expensive. Yeah. Maddie says there's much more depression in her age group this year than last year. It's like it's all coming out now. Yeah. So, you know, but I mean, of course, as a parent, if you go in and just say to your kid, stop smoking spliff and then we'll get you out, it's not going to work. No. You know, the, the really complicated thing, and this is something, this is the reason I want to go into this area, is more often than not, you've got an enormous task to get to get someone to stop their addiction before you then deal with the underlying problem. Mm. You know, you've got two, like, now that, don't, that's not to sound like an, uh, you know, an unscalable mountain. It's, it's, it's just the way it has to happen. You have to remove the substance abuse before you, you can get to the problem. And the problem and the, the is causing the substance is, abuse. And the awful thing is, the substance is often the way that they have medicated yeah. the problem underneath. And I remember when you went into rehab, that was the line the whole time. We have yeah. to get them clean of everything so we can see the totally. walk of the trees and totally. see what, what triggered it all. Yeah. Totally. So, you know, again, you know, how you do it, where you do it, who's funded to help you do it, this is the problem. Mm. But in order to sort of understand it, we need people, we need some blue sky thinking which understands what addiction is. People, I think, have this very airy, very idea. I mean, it shocks me to this day. Around spliff, it's like the friendly sidebar to alcohol. It really isn't. isn't. It really, really isn't. Um, anonymous. It was awful for me. They stopped when I was, I was at my lowest and had to go private at 15. That's a we, natural we, teenager. We heard a number of times on the documentary, which I found just shocking, they told me they couldn't help me anymore. Can you imagine how that would leave a young person feeling who's in a dire straits yeah. and they've had six sessions of something and then they're told, well, we can't help you anymore. You are going to leave that child with the thought that they're going to feel this sad or this low for the rest of their lives. That's incredibly dangerous. But it's important, and this is my worry, is that there are some therapists that don't understand the language. If you use language like 
this is the end, this is all we can offer you. God. You oh God. are creating an enormous problem. You may as well undo all of the therapy you've done for the six weeks prior. Please I mean, it's don't ludicrous. ever say that to a young person, uh, or even to any person. No, no. You're never going to feel any better than you feel now when somebody is feeling absolutely or even, Not even that. If, if, if the statement is something along the lines of, we can do no more for you now. I mean, here's one. Spanner says, my son is self-harming, but can say because he's not having suicidal thoughts, they can't help him. Now, this is something that was said to me by my first psychiatrist I spoke to when I had my breakdown, uh, who said to me, said, sadly, the only way we could trigger some kind of NHS support is if you were running around the streets with an axe or you'd yeah. actually sla sl you know, slashed yeah. your wrists. And he said, unless you're sitting at either extreme, you know, danger to someone else or danger to yourself, literally in the moment, he said, I can't activate anything for you. Well, in, again, in the documentary, Dr Alex Tote spoke to the head of NHS Services for Children. And, you know, he, he challenged her on this fact that people are getting turned away for help. Who, are, who have eating disorders because they're not thin enough, basically. She said, absolutely not. There is no BMI. Mm. It's not true. We hear over and over again that people have been told that their child isn't thin enough. And what came out throughout this documentary is all the professionals that it spoke to, get in early. Yeah. You know, there was one girl who had multiple problems, eating disorder, was self-harming. And she, oh, my God, she blossomed so much, hadn't she? She was absolutely thriving. It was so wonderful yeah, really to see. Was. She had a brilliant counsellor. She was with a... She went to the charity for self-harming charity. And, you know, he said there and then that counsellor, we'd got in at six weeks. Yeah. She probably wouldn't have got to the point where she was self-harming. He more yeah. or less said that, didn't yeah, he? absolutely. Oh, and and going back to your point about physical activity, there was one girl in the documentary who was through surfing. Oh, wasn't that a lovely oh, story? Oh, don't make me cry. Yeah, yeah. Who, who found joy and happiness. Her anxiety was off the scale yeah. and she'd started with an very anxious feelings at six, seven, became a school refuser. And she said, everything that I... All the help that was offered to me was about getting me back into yes, school, yes. which was the very thing that was causing her this, this terrible anxiety. Anyway, it really, she was woefully let down, wasn't she? But what got her well, much weller, was surfing in the ice cold, which was Scottish. Yeah, oh, yeah. my God, it yeah. looked freezing. Very bold but also, and again that peer support. So her trying to get up onto this board over yes. again, falling, failing. She wasn't thinking about her anxiety. And then to help a younger person coming in yeah. that was struggling. Oh, it really was joyful Well, these And also these sort of what seemed like distractive activities. I do remember when Kiki was struggling with anxiety once, you know, when she got into horse riding, mm. it was a huge, huge help. So, you know, looking at these other activities as a parent can be really helpful, especially if there's a sort of physical activity. Physical, you know, yeah. Element absolutely. To uh, Jess Woodstock, horrific, struggled since the age of 10, oh, and they straight away Jessica. put me on antidepressants. Straight away? Straight away. I mean, medicating, uh, I, there's, there's been a lot of um, messages from people saying they felt their child was medicated so quickly. Yeah. Shouldn't be medicated to go through all the talking therapies hormonal tests. I mean, that's the other thing. It's very difficult to get in between what's hormonal fluctuations and what might be chemical fluctuations, chemical fluctuations in the brain. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to a counsellor the other day and she was saying that. It's so hard to find the difference between bipolar and hormonal fluctuations because they present in a very similar Absolutely. way. Yeah. 
I think you must have asked something along the lines of, you know, what do you feel needs to be done or what worries you that, that isn't being done? And, and Elizabeth Cooper says that she thinks a big part of the problem is pressure to attend school when you know they aren't coping. Yeah, not good. I mean, that is a really I'll important thing, yeah. Elizabeth. Because if anything, that programme helped us say. Yeah. Because Kiki was a school refuser, she was high anxiety, and we have questioned often whether we did the right thing taking her out to school, you know, was she just shying away from the whole world? Well, her going back into school now has absolutely proven yeah. what we did, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, it really it's has. Abs- it's amazing. I mean, still, yeah, we failed in, in, in some areas, but, my God, if we'd kept pushing her to go, where would she have ended oh. up with that anxiety? Yeah, it's bizarre. God. It's bizarre how it can work. I mean, yeah. it really is... Um, interesting one here from Adele. Lack of support in schools for young girls and periods. Such an anxious time for them. Well, at the moment, they're saying in... in I mean, they've stopped all t- allowing to go to the toilet at Kiki's school. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what if a girl's got the period? She goes, well, you then have to go up to the teacher and whisper. I was like, oh, my God. That is archaic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm now paying an arm and a leg to go private with my daughter as cams can't do it, says Di Cresswell. Uh, A friend of mine this week has been told by cams to go private as they're understaffed. Um, JJ says, mental health lessons in school, coping mechanisms showing that it's not a weakness would be really useful. This is about what could be done to sort of prevent the crisis. Um, I've got one here from Sarah. Sorry, I Fife. How to cope with my daughter's terrible anxiety. I need guidance as a parent, which goes back to the thing you were saying about it's important to have sort of space, safe spaces and time for mm. not just kids and teenagers, but parents too. Sarah says, took years to get help. It was agony, lonely and so stressful waiting for someone to care. Oh, Those simple words, look at that. And here, Nikki, they told my son, age 12, that he didn't have depression. He's 23 now and suffers terribly. Oh. That early intervention again. Yeah. That must be so hard to think, if only, what would have happened if only? Um, Somebody here, not being heard by the school, uh, by the school, it was bullying at secondary school. Can I please remain anonymous? That's such an important thing Mm. because this isn't just about cams. This is about schools as well as parents. And if you, your heart is breaking, we've had this with our girls, with one of our girls, you know, and the school can do nothing about bullying. It always, it nearly, I shouldn't say always, it nearly always is going to end up in some kind of mental health condition. Because mm. it's, the, I mean, we would all leave any job where we were being bullied, but we expect children to sort of toughen up. Yeah. That's our dog snoring, by That's the way. Dog. And stay for maybe years with yeah. somebody bullying them. Absolutely. G. Davey, this is a good suggestion, well, an important suggestion. Mental health services are needed for young adults between 16 to 18, where they don't really fit into being a child or an adult. Mm. It's very important that. I mean, obviously, Young Minds, as a charity, homes in on that sort of thought. But you're right, it does either skew young or it skews older. And that really difficult limbo period between 16 and 18 is is tough to target. We've got one here from a young person, Shannon. For me, as a child, it was the waiting time for appointments. Painfully long, so damaging. Mm. Um, Nadia also asked on her Instagram, how tough has it been for you? How have you coped? Um... Lovely Emma here says, uh, I'm not coping, just hoping someone will help. Mm. Um, what happens to him if something happens to me? Who's going to look after him? I'm so scared. 
uh, underfunded and I have no way of getting help as someone who struggles with mental health myself. I'm from Fiona. I have days where I feel like a failure. You want them to be happy and you can't help. God, I know that feeling. It's so awful. I need support, understanding and help. Of course you do as the parent. Why would we think that that the parent isn't an important part of the sport? Poor, uh, long waiting lists. And then once diagnosis occurs, they run away. This is Fiona talking about cams. Um, this is a really uh, important one, actually. Um, Dancy Titsoff, Kaz, your mate, uh, contacted oh. and said, Cams is inundated, Nads. We've got an 18-month waiting list in oh Brighton. We've got a shortage of social workers, domestic abuse and substance abuses through the roof. A social worker I was talking to last week has three families in court with children needing to be taken away because the parents can't look after them. Oh. Feel so, so sorry for the children. It's so hard. Cams is under so much pressure. It really is. Basically, because the parents and carers are struggling so much, how they're able to support their children that are struggling. It's a vicious, vicious circle. Oh, and that's from my dear friends. You might think that was just, that's her Instagram handle, Cass. who works in services, social services, so she knows what she's talking about. Listen to this. Jodie Booth, on the first meeting with Cams, my son didn't talk, so they closed his file. Oh, yes, I saw that one. Quite extraordinary, isn't it? That's the point. We can't help you. It's like another friend of mine, her daughter... Um, is really struggling with substance abuse. And they finally got a call with CAMS. And the CAMS person said, well, we can't help you until you're clean of substance. I was like, well, well, oh, oh, okay. So is it that easy then? You just say, oh, I've got substance abuse. What I'll do is I'll just stop. But that's (laughs) that's the misnomer that substance abuse is different to mental health. I mean, it's... They're entwined and and in And in the most horrible way, I tell you what, addiction is a cunning and baffling disease that homes in on mental health crises. And like that horrible monster in Alien that flies out the egg and sticks to their face and then goes into their throat (laughs) and breeds... It's a great analogy, guys. Mm. It's a vivid, visceral analogy because the, the disease of depression, the disease of, of anxiety, any mental health issue literally feeds mm. off you. So you've got young people that may have had a mental health, may have a mental health condition that find the way of medicating that struggle. Exactly. And then you have people that didn't have a mental health condition, but through peer pressure and through, you know, the curious mind of a teenager that wants to feel like what it feels like to be off their tits, can actually bring on a mental health condition that wouldn't have been there because nobody knows whose brain is going to react in what way. You could have one person that does, that smokes spliff their whole life or does loads of acid or, you know, snorts ketamine or whatever else they do and will struggle a bit but but, but can stand up pretty much and brush themselves off. But it is Russian roulette. Yeah. I mean, Mark had a friend, didn't you, when you were at uni, uni that had one spliff and, and never came back. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. And I mean, from her mental health, never recovered. Yeah, and a lot of people would say things like, and still did years after as well, it can't have been just one split or, oh, you yeah, know, it can't have been one session of smoke. And the point is, is that it is a lottery. It's a lottery. Absolutely. Because, Imagine a gun yeah, and you just keep shooting it. There's one, one bullet yeah. in there. Somebody's going to get the bullet. Exactly. Not everybody, no. but somebody's going to get the bullet. And what happens is everyone points towards those who haven't who been haven't. struck. Oh, he's been smoking yeah, for yeah, years. Yeah, he's yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, this is a an important one. Where is it? Uh, my nephew, Nick. My nephew was cutting himself. He's 10 and he wasn't deemed in crisis. Oh, God. So sad. Oh, bless him. Um, this is another one here. Abby, love. 
Took over two years to get even be referred, faffing about different inadequate places before referral to CAMS. We were prisoners in our home as nine-year-old, too scared to leave, ended up with weekly spots for a year, doing lots better, but reluctant to refer to doctor. So, you know, that, that's, it took over two years, though, to get there. But, you know, again, don't have a hopelessness about it. You know, there are many instances where you can get to see the right person. Yeah. It is, it is total, there is a total point. I don't want us to come out of this, everyone thinking, oh, it's pointless going to CAMS or trying no, CAMS. No. It's absolutely not. Yeah. It's a service that's there, but it's also just, we're wanting to just highlight this so that everyone can lobby their politicians, can get in touch with their charities, can push for change, like Dr. Alex George's. Uh, or did in, in, in the documentary. Um, you know, there has to be change. There has to be change. Wow. Well, there you go, guys. Yeah. We didn't get the kids involved in this one. No. I don't know why, but we didn't feel kind of right. Well, I feel that they've spoken a lot about mental health, and if I'm really honest, I didn't want to have to take them there when I didn't they weren't to... there already. I think we wanted them to watch the documentary, and yeah. I just didn't kind of want them to this week so yeah. we'll have them back next week because we're dealing them. with enough mental health crises <laughs> without us asking them to talk about them yeah but there you go guys thanks for that all those contributions quite Thank remarkable you. and moving big hugs you well that's it for this episode of confessions of a modern parent if you'd like to comment on any of the topics we've discussed today we'd love you to get in touch use the hashtag confessions of a modern parent if you want to find me on twitter it's at nadia sawala and on instagram it's at nadia sawala and family and if you fancy getting in touch with me it's at mark underscore adderley thank you so much for listening if you like the show please subscribe rate and review tell your friends and get involved and you can hear more episodes of Confessions of a Modern Parent on Global Player or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Ta-da! <laughs>